0: hi everyone I'm Aviva Rumani and this is Kindred cast a podcast featuring insights from deal makers and thought leaders from the world of tech media and everything in between Kindred cast is a production of Kindred media powered by Liontree a global merchant and investment bank Today we feature a recent webinar chaired by Liontree's public markets lead Leslie Mallon, with Michael Casson, the founder, chairman, and CEO of strategic advisory firm, MediaLink, and Michael's colleagues, Andrea Redness and JC Yuva. Tune in for an in-depth discussion about how the advertising and marketing world is remaking itself in the wake of the global health crisis. To stay up to date on today's most recent, thoughtful, insightful, and entertaining content, be sure to check out Kindred Media's recently launched newsletter for Take a Break with Kindred Media by clicking the link in our show notes. And now, here's Liontree CEO Aryeh Borkoff to kick off the webinar.
1: Welcome, everyone. I'm Aryeh Borkoff at Liontree, and I am very excited today to have a special brainstorming that we have uh, the advertising industry it is all too timely to talk about trends in advertising and capital spent by the industry, which is really what this conversation is about. And I'm especially grateful that Michael Cassin, a dear friend of mine personally and for the firm, is here with MediaLink to kick off that discussion with our own Leslie Mallon. And I'm really grateful that Michael, you've brought together your whole team to talk to us about what's going on in the industry right now. and we are very interested and curious. We have a whole tree team. And a number of guests here from the industry that are looking forward to your wisdom and your insights and tell us when we will not only go back to normal,
2: but go forward to the extraordinary. Aria, thank you so very much. We're pleased to join this morning. And as Leslie will take over here, I'm sure she'll introduce the team members. But uh, I want to thank you for the opportunity to speak to you and to your partners and friends. Thank you.
3: Thanks, and thanks, Aria. To get started, we thought it would be beneficial to host a series of virtual discussions on TMT themes and topics that will help us all better navigate these uncertain times together. Today is on a very important topic that touches so many of our clients in some form or fashion, that being the advertising market. Michael, Aurier has introduced you, but to also introduce Andrea Redness and JC Yuva, two senior members of the MediaLink team as well. We're really pleased and thrilled to have you all today spending time with us on this very important discussion. Let's get started. Michael, if you could start with a little overview on MediaLink, your focus on the ad market, and then we'll get right into questions. Sure.
2: MediaLink was founded about 13 years ago. We operate a strategic advisory firm, which lives at a particular intersection. That intersection is marketing, media, advertising, entertainment, and technology. We're fortunate to be a team of about 170 people located in New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, San Francisco, and London. Three years ago, Liontree was our partner and investment advisor and banker, and we sold MediaLink to Essential. A UK-based public company, best known for its event business, which is manifested as the Can Lions, which unfortunately isn't happening this year based on COVID. They manage and own the Can Lions and another important event in the industry, not necessarily the advertising industry, but Money 2020, which is the leading fintech conference in the world. That's their conference business. Just essentially, I look at MediaLink as a team of professionals that have one thing in common and that is operational experience. If I'd like to have something that differentiates us at that intersection, it's our operational focus.
3: Great. Fantastic. So let's get started. To set the stage, it'd be great to talk about the current environment as you see it and work our way during the conversation to how you envision the industry re-emerging and how you see the competitive deck chairs shifting, if at all. So starting with the current environment, We know the ad market has been severely pressured, but how would you characterize the current state of affairs for the industry? You've talked about a transitional normal. Could you start by explaining that?
2: What we at MediaLink have been trying to do with our partners is identify a transitional normal. What do we do as we're trying to figure out if we take Gretzky at his word where the puck is, what we've got to do is figure out how the heck we're going to get there. So I think the movement is towards how are we getting to whatever that new normal is. And the mindset is tough out there right now, relative to spend across various industries. I can tell you again, anecdotally, I was on the line this weekend with a very, very, very large retailer. Hopefully that would indicate the size and scope. And this particular retailer said, we have an obligation to our shareholders. And if The market is starting to move, and I'll come back to when the market is moving in a moment. But when the market is starting to move, if we're able to move, and I talk about the market, I'm talking about the linear broadcast television market initially, we need to move. And the fact that others are not similarly situated, whether it's particular industries or not, we can't wait for a new prescription. We need to go now. Because if we don't go, the next person on the list will get a call from the publisher saying they're going to go. That kind of sets the stage. On the one hand, you've got people who are of a mindset that we need to cut and deal with the current. We have people who are saying, I'm already on to tomorrow. And you have more of the people stuck in that middle or transitional normal.
3: Practically speaking, what's happened with all the account reviews? You know, are they on hold? Are agencies pitching virtually? And have you noticed any differences, per se, among the agency holding companies in terms of their actions thus far? It would be great to get some perspectives on that.
2: What I'd love to do is ask Andrea to take that question, Leslie, in as much as Andrea runs most of the large media reviews that we do at MediaLink, so she's right in the line of fire as we speak. So, Andrea, if you'd like to take the first part of that, and I can come back on the holding company side.
4: Sure. So I think, as most of you probably know, this year is shaping up to be probably the largest year in agency reviews and even to potentially surpass you know, our whole pitch of palooza, as Michael talks about from, you know, like four or five years ago. What we started to see was there's a real influx in January and February of companies starting to look at their agency reviews. Many of the big companies and big sectors actually have already kind of kicked off and started reviews. The way everybody's dealt with that has been really different. If a review was already kicked off when this whole process started, for the most part, they've all continued on. In some cases, they've added some additional time. We've actually seen some really great real moments come out of this. And in a lot of ways, I think really allowed brands and clients to really show their true colors because you know, they all say when we get stressed is when we all go back to our natural states. And I think that's the state that we've all been operating at in our professional, our personal lives, as well as you know corporations in general. The good news is that you've seen a lot of authenticity come through this process, but they've all moved to virtual. We've been pitching. We have a number of major pitch meetings going on right now that we're running globally, and they've all gone to being virtual meetings. So they're still happening. They're happening the same as they would, and they're moving forward. There's also a group of companies that are still looking to actually start meetings and start this whole review process. For those, there's really a varying perspective on that as to whether they decide to start now or start later. People delayed it by a few weeks. People have decided or a few months and still going to do it this year. People put it off for a year. It really sort of depends upon their individual case. There's definitely some different opportunities within the marketplace, however, if you start to look at when there's going to be ebbs and flows in the industry to look at some advantages that people can take. It started off that people were doing reviews really because they wanted to improve their ways of working and their strategic thinking. Obviously, in service of the bottom line, my favorite line is we're all about brand advertising and we're all about brand advertising that actually moves the bottom line. When marketers look at that, we have a saying: we say it's never about the dollars until it's about the dollars. And in the end, it's always about the dollars. They were really looking at improving the teams and talents and way of working to actually improve that efficiency. I think that with everything that's happened, obviously, procurement, we've seen in real time start to step up, even in the pitches that we're doing right now and start to push on those a little more. I think the other big story that's going to be happening here is all the brands that are not in an agency review and how they're handling those relationships with their agency. right? Because that's the vast majority of the marketplace that's out there. And there's a lot of pressure in that market As well,
2: I'd add two things to that. Andrea, you spoke about virtual and virtual meetings. Just to give our listeners a little bit of an idea in a pitch process, whether it's media or creative, you begin normally with a chemistry session where people get together and see if they even like each other before you get into the substance of here's an assignment. Do you have the strategic chops and will you be able to deliver it at the right price? and do you have the right data strategy, etc. What's interesting about some of the reviews that are going on now, that chemistry is being done like this. And I think that's an important fact to take away from this because I think some decisions will be made with virtual chemistry checks, which I think bode interestingly for the future of how business is going to be conducted on our side of the table, number one. Number two... And this is an area, Leslie and others, that go towards the efficacy of the agency model going forward when we come through this. The agency model has been challenged over the last several years relative to the ability for clients to either take things in-house more or the dynamic that really changed was the direct relationship between the client, the marketer, and the seller. Whether it be Comcast NBC Universal on the one hand, or Facebook and the Holy Trinity of the duopoly plus Amazon on the other hand, those relationships have put into question the value proposition of agencies. What we've advised agencies during this moment, particularly, is here's a chance for you in the client conversations to be reasserting your value proposition at the highest and best level. Because at the end of the day, it's around stewardship through difficult times and easier times, and it's around strategy. So if you as an agency can demonstrate deeper strategic chops and understanding the need for stewardship and advisory work in this current moment, not just execution, we think that you have an opportunity to actually help your business in the long run and remind people, remind marketers, remind the Fortune 50 that there is an important and a continuing role for their agency partners.
4: I believe that this difficult times we're going through right now in this crisis may honestly be just what the relationship between the agencies and the clients really needed to regalvanize that. They've gone through 10 years of some really hard times since the whole transparency issues and all of that. And we all know from relationships that when you go through tough times together, it's an opportunity to either come together or pull apart. And we're really seeing this as an opportunity for agencies to grab a hold of those clients, be the trusted advisor that they used to be in the past and to really bring back that relationship and bring it new and erase some of the baggage from the past.
2: So it's going to be tough sailing for them over the next year, regardless of V-shape or other kind of reactions, which we all hope happens. But they may come out of this better because they'll be right-sized. And if they can do what we just said, which is enhance their value proposition, maybe they come out of this better and smaller, but better.
3: One of the questions that comes up a lot is trying to put in context what's happening now to the financial crisis. How would you make that comparison? Do you see clients cutting budgets more aggressively this go around? And to the agencies, do you think they're better prepared this go around to handle this crisis and to do what needs to get done?
2: So I promise to give credit for a week. Rashad Tabakawala, who just retired as one of the lead strategists at Publicis, said something the other day that just really resonated with me. He said, this is not hashtag great recession. This is hashtag great reinvention. And so I think there is that mindset in the industry that there is a moment in time where we have a pause and it's an inflection point. So I think this is different than other experiences. Many people on this call, probably their first experience with something remotely like this would have been 9-11. I'm going to guess. I'm a bit older, so I've been through several of these kinds of moments in business. Look, I think this is different. And I think the budget cuts, you will see obviously very, very severe numbers will come out of Q2. It's just going to happen. There are industries that are just shut down, as we all know. I'd like a virtual show of hands. How many folks on this call invest in businesses that have a line that says revenue zero and almost literally government ordered revenue zero? So you can guess which industries are going to be slower to return because I, again, would ask for a virtual show of hands. I'm going to guess that. We get a green light that says go back to a movie, go back to a restaurant, I don't know about you, but I'm going to want to make sure I understand what the precautions are and what the seating arrangements are and just trying to figure out how we all adjust. You can figure out which industries are still going to be needing to draw customers, but have to approach marketing in a different way.
3: Well. I guess as you're talking through where we could be headed and how this recovery might manifest itself, there's not much visibility, but if you had to sort of make your best guess or even where do you think the consensus is with clients that you're talking to on how this is going to pan out, is the consensus view with your client base that it will be a V and we'll get back to levels we were quickly or that it'll be a slow U or even maybe a double dip? What's in the mindset now from the client base?
2: JC, do you want to sure. kind of lead that? And then I can add some color as you go.
5: Sure. I think in talking to a lot of our clients and other stakeholders, I don't think it's going to be a V. There are a few people who expect that right now. I think that the level of uncertainty that's still out there compared to where we were at the beginning is still really, really high. I was thinking, as, as Michael was talking about, a couple different Sectors within media more broadly. And at the beginning, if you looked at out of home and sports and some of these areas that are completely shut down, our first assumption was, okay, well. Is the value proposition for these media channels really different once things change? In the long run, the answer is no. People are going to go back and watch sports in stadiums and go to movies and certainly walk along the street. And the reason why brands have pulled out is because those things aren't happening right now. There's no reason to advertise there. But I think what's developed is over the past six weeks is a sense that... That's not going to be a bounce back. It's not going to be all of a sudden one day people are going to open their doors and rush back into everything. So I think the expectations around some of these different areas, I think, have to be tempered and you have to look at it with a little bit of a long view. With that said, when we look at some of those areas, we haven't seen anything that really changes the fundamental underlying value of what they provide. It's just a matter of time. And I think that the time horizon is still unclear. And I think we look at it as being more uncertainty for a longer period of time rather than it clearing up quickly.
2: One of the things that I wanted to just add in there, April 25th was an important date. And the reason for that was network broadcast time that was purchased for the month of March. I'm not talking about local spot broadcast or out of home or anything else. Network broadcast time, and I'm sure most of the people know what I'm referring to, is due for payment on April 25th. So anything that ran during the month of March is due on April 25th. We haven't done a census yet of the broadcast community, but my guess is they didn't collect everything that they would normally expect to collect on April 25th. And we haven't yet seen what that trickle down is because if the agencies aren't paid by clients based on credit or crunch, whatever it may be, And if the agencies then are due to pay the networks and they don't pay, there's an unsettled area in the media and advertising industry that's referred to as sequential liability. And the question has always been, and it's unresolved, if a broadcaster gets stiffed, is the agency responsible or is the client responsible? The large advertisers probably are going to be able to pay their bills on time for some period of time, maybe forever, hopefully. But Pete the plumber and Sally the hairdresser and the local SMBs, as we call them, small and medium-sized businesses, maybe not so much. So I think we're going to see some of that start to hit the market.
3: Two questions from our attendees, if I can throw in here. One is, at the end of the day, do you believe 2021 U.S. ad revenue will be above 2019 The other question that came in is what areas and sectors are going to be the quickest to return and which will take the
4: most time to
2: return? Andrea, did you want to grab that?
4: Oh, no, I was just going to set up some historical stuff. I mean, if you look at history, we saw that some of the streaming services, you know, we looked at digital and broadcast in the last recession were some of the hardest hit ones, but were also some of the ones that bounced back the fastest. And I think if we look at what the trends are happening right now, We're really seeing that there's a push towards accountability. There already was a push towards accountability beforehand. The major marketers have really been envious of what they were really seeing in the direct-to-consumer marketing space. We've identified a number of trends before this. And as we're looking at them now, we're really seeing that those trends are really just being exacerbated. And we find that when we go through times like this, we go back to 9-11 and we go back to 2008, we see that what really what's happened is that the things were already starting to happen and where nursery was already going just gets moved a lot faster during one of these times. So I think, you know, we talk about like sort of the mega trends of what's going to happen. I think we can say that we believe obviously that streaming and broadcast and all these areas that were really strong before are going to continue to be stronger and to balance back the best. But I think that, you know, probably some of the work that we've really been doing in the marketplace around very specifically what's going to happen in major markets, I know Michael touched upon the upfronts before, probably is some of the most telling work to really look at. And some of the things that, you know, to really kind of get in mindset of what marketers are thinking about.
2: One of the things I would add there as well is, and Leslie I touched on it in the first question, but I'd like to focus, if we might, for a moment on what's happening with the upfronts. I think that's as current a story and it's real time as exists in the market. Because I think that gives an indication of what the mindset is around committing spending going forward, and I'm going to presume everybody on the phone knows what the upfronts referred to, but I'll do it one second. Upfronts are what happened generally for the last 50 years or so in May when the broadcast networks and cable networks show their stuff. They show you the new fall shows, what's coming, and the way that that media is committed, as many of you know, roughly 80% of the national broadcast and cable broadcast inventory, particularly on ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox, Etc. the primary linear broadcast networks, roughly 80% of the money is committed up front in what we call a broadcast year, which is a three-quarter commitment that starts in September. Just to give you a little history as to why it's like that and why you wouldn't have started the fall season in January in a new season, it was based on the original way the auto manufacturers released the new cars. It used to be that new cars were released in September, and that's where all the money would be for the advertisers. So the new cars were released the new models, and the new shows. And they backed up one to another. So that's exactly why it happened. And it also, the idea of an upfront market was based on a supply and demand quotient, which was there's only a limited amount of time that you have in prime time. So I want to get 80% of it upfront. And 20% is always in what we call the so-called scatter market. Obviously, in this year, the upfronts at Carnegie Hall and Lincoln Center and Madison Square Garden and The Beacon Theater, they're not going to happen. What we don't know yet, but we're in the midst, and literally we're in the midst of the conversation with the lead buyers, the lead sellers, and the lead clients, and the lead agencies about what the 2020 upfront should look like. Back to what I said about hashtag reinvention, maybe this is exactly the inflection point that we need to change to a calendar year. Look, That's got to be an agreement between a willing buyer and a willing seller in a commercial transaction. So nobody can have a meeting that says, you're going to do it this way and everyone's going to go along. Although that's how it's been done generally, although there are some who buy on a calendar year anyway. But we are going to see pretty quickly what people's psyche is for 21, because in some way, shape or form in September There'll be some action against the backdrop of a fourth quarter and likely a concerted effort against what would be first quarter of 21.
5: I just want to add to what Michael said. I think one thing that we've heard a lot in these conversations is this push for flexibility. Obviously, the upfront, you're putting money down upfront and you get a price advantage for doing that. But you lose flexibility. Again, that's primarily for television as compared to digital media, also for sports and buying sports rights and sponsorships. But the consistent word I think we've heard from a lot of brands and agencies is the desire for more flexibility and if this is the new normal. I think it's going to be a really interesting conversation between buyers and sellers because flexibility is great, but it is more costly to do business that way. Those dynamics are going to be interesting to see how things shift, whether flexibility just means more time to cancel, whether it means buying broader portfolios of media. It's got the potential, this concept to shift dynamics around a little bit.
4: Really to sort of put an exclamation point on what JC was saying is that while we can't say necessarily what will and won't happen as far as what content won't be produced or what will launch or sports is probably one of the biggest variables. Um, While everybody has great plans for it to come back, we can all also imagine a few things that could happen here or there that could cause some things for plans to change. So the one thing that we all do know is that things will actually change. And as marketers start to look at what they're going to buy, I think it'll be very important for them to look at a portfolio type of a buy, meaning that you don't know what content's going to fall out from where, but you need to know that there's a decent backup plan and that will probably go into impacting the value of the media based upon the overall portfolio that it's a part of, meaning what are your backup plans and what are your options if something does fall out at some point, because we know it absolutely will over the next six to 12 months, major chunks of content. We're talking about.
2: And, and Andrea said it well, flexibility is the new black. That's what everybody has to demonstrate. Real time is ever more important because planning cycles are gonna be so impacted by what we're going through. Number two, look, on the other side, there are some people who I think are standing out. We saw recently Snap, as an example, just flipping switch here, we saw Snap have a pretty good earnings story and a pretty good story even in the midst of COVID as their numbers came out. I think there's an example of somebody who is going to benefit based on several factors in this crazy time. Maybe, not maybe, it looks like come out of this stronger.
3: I did want to proceed on sort of the digital element, but I think REA had a question that he wanted to pose as well.
1: Michael, do you think is 21 going to be a better year than 19 based on your gut, your experience, your contacts, or is it
2: just too early to tell? I think it's too early to tell REA. I think marketing will bring us back. I've heard all these expressions, sports will bring us back, marketing will bring us back. I'm more aligned with a V than I am with a W. So I do think we'll have a good year in 21. Will it be what 19 was? That's going to be tough. Everybody was kind of cruising in 19 and money was flowing. Certain categories, the streamers are going to spend money through the roof. They have to. All the DTC brands will continue. We are all becoming so accustomed to new ways of living and new ways of communicating. And I do believe that the consumer that is the one who's going to dictate all of this is actually habituating faster than we give credit. The human condition is forming habits that we all get. I don't know about you, but a lot of calls I'm on, people are saying, yeah, I really want to get out. I want to go hug my grandkids. I want to be able to do... But I'm settling in. I'm getting used to this. There's a rhythm. What I said to somebody just trying to be funny, there's a rhythm. I just wish it was a different song. But there's a rhythm. I was thinking this morning how difficult it'll be to get back into a rhythm. I think 21 looks obviously better than we are now. God knows. But I'm not sure it goes all the way back to 19.
1: Thank you for that. I mean, The other question I had is you mentioned the zero revenue companies during this period. But among zero-revenue companies during this period, there are those who are qualifying for government support and raising capital on others, and others that fall through the cracks. Like the live events business, you won't see the government bailing out concerts, goers. And you won't see the government bailing out the advertising industry either. So the no. industry doesn't get the sympathies of the stimulus package. So how does the industry get through that period as it falls through the cracks? And you mentioned the reinvention of the industry, people would get more nimble and more streamlined. But maybe at the end of the day, it's not about being small and streamlined. At the end of this, it's about, should you be spreading your costs out over a larger entity? And isn't this industry ripe for much needed consolidation just to get through even
2: crises like these in the future? No doubt. I think that necessity as the proverbial will come into play here. And what I think is the opportunities for that consolidation. Let's go back again, right to the advertising industry. It's a good example, metaphorically, for what you just said. Years ago, we sat back and looked at the opportunity for Publicis and Omnicon to come together, which didn't happen. But the Pog deal was the biggest kind of big bang theory in the advertising industry. And people are on either side of that argument saying it's either a good thing or a bad thing. Consolidation. I would submit to you, it's a great example. Consolidation in the hold co-business would present brilliant opportunities now. And as they reimagine the value proposition, just one industry, but you could apply that across TMT, REA, for sure. There are places where we just have too much. One of our companies said, gee, I want to create... They thought they were coming up with a new idea, a rep firm. Does everybody, does every publisher need their own sales teams now? Think about that. Jonah Peretti years ago talked about, is there a need and an opportunity for the publishers in that era? I don't want to say smaller, but the emerging publishers all get together. That was three years ago. If it was right three years ago, it's way right now, just because there is going to be more focus on big, solid Players, which means the duopoly plus makes even bigger noise and challenges the smaller publishers even more. Yes, I do believe there's extensive opportunity around consolidation for efficiency purposes. Because what I will say, REA, as a business principle, Anytime you take the following three words and use them in a sentence in the right order, opportunity will exist. And those three words are fragmentation, consolidation, and efficiency. It's an organizing principle for me and always has been. You find a fragmented industry that can be made more efficient through consolidation, someone's going to make money. There is a classic example of that right now. We have fragmented industries that will be more efficient through consolidation. Thank you.
3: To take this then back to digital a bit, a lot of questions that we get sort of on the, does this crisis then accelerate that trend that we've been seeing already, the shift to digital? So do we see an the acceleration there? And you mentioned Snap.
2: I would say, and then I turn it over to JC, but I would say the following. Snap had a unique moment. The demographic thereafter was hot. The Discover platform really reimagined its relevance and its importance the idea of getting your news through that lens attracted the right demo they are also in the least sexy side of the advertising business demonstrating great strength which is the direct response we say it now in a fancier way direct to consumer but it's the stuff that nobody wanted to talk about the dr the direct response work and i think they've made the right moves in that regard I think Michael
5: brings up a really good point with Snap and the different audience and the performance of its direct response ad product, which is I think is something that's developed over time and obviously has gotten a lot better. It's performed really well. One of the things we expected at the beginning is that you know one of the big shifts we'd see during the immediate crisis is shifting from brand to more performance-based advertising. I want to add two more things back to what Michael was talking about earlier and I think it plays into this, there are some categories that are gonna to have to spend. And they're gonna to have to spend their way through this. If you look at auto and retail, obviously stores aren't open, but they still have to sell products. Those are categories that really have to continue to spend. I think that they're gonna find new ways to do that. And you know, that might shift more toward performance. You might see them looking for more video options with TV, the OTT video, as well as Twitter's video and Facebook's video product and everything. There are some categories, I think, that should hold up okay. And the final thing I think that's important to this conversation about when the recovery really kicks in is there are elements of different media channels that are premium and they're going to have a pretty high floor. Broadcast Prime provided their shows is still really valuable. It's something that brands know perform, and that's why that market is held up so well. If you look at what Michael was saying earlier about the direct consumer video players, Hulu, Netflix, WarnerMedia, all of it, out of home advertising is really important for them too. Those billboards in Times Square—they can only make so many of them before they're out of sight, too high in the sky. So that is premium inventory that is still is going to hold value over time. So there are areas I think where the floor is relatively high. That will provide some ballast as other things go through the recovery cycle and start to come back.
3: Another question that came from our audience related to digital was, from more of a longer-term perspective, a question about relative positioning and your view on which digital platforms you're most bullish on long-term. So the platforms we talked about, but also including platforms like TikTok, which has been really popular these days. So looking crystal ball to the future, how do you see the competitive positioning between these platforms and the attractiveness to the advertising community?
2: The onslaught of TikTok has gotten a lot of traction and not to be underestimated in terms of the strength of Byte Dance and and the story that they're telling with TikTok and the uptake, certainly for humor, not as much information sharing in a different way. But look, we've been talking about physical distancing at media link not trying to focus on social distancing and again it goes back to the founding principle of media link we were based on connectivity at scale and that's been part of our business model so having to adjust on the fly the old perform while you're transforming a company that and this again is metaphoric but a company that is built on social connectivity in a world of physical distancing i think the platforms that Enable social connectivity are the ones to bet on right now, and you can take that where you want. So that would be my visceral reaction to that question, Leslie. We need to have the ability to do this I cascade into the live event side because that's near and dear to Media Links heart, not only because of Can Lions and not only because of CES where we have such an overarching presence. We're all having to figure that out, as you know, with the Can Lions just bringing it back. We've postponed it for this year. We're launching a live virtual MediaLink Beach, which will replicate what we do on the Quasette every year, as well, our sister company, the Can Lions, are launching a virtual event where creativity and that which was the founding principle will be celebrated virtually. So we're all trying to figure it out, but look, I sit here today and if I'm asked the question, which I haven't been, well, not on this call, what happens with CES? What happens when you bring 200,000 people to Las Vegas in January? What happens to Mark Benioff's amazing dream force where you bring 170,000 people to San Francisco in November? These are real questions that we all have to be answering. So the platforms who respond to that as we have to reimagine that part of our world for some period of time, those are the platforms and the places I'd make the bet.
5: Leslie, I just want to add to what Michael said real quick about another area, I think, where engagement is kind of going through the roof. And I think there's a lot of opportunity and that's in gaming, mobile gaming. And that's from tons of different apps that you can download and play socially or by yourself, as well as things like Roblox. That's interesting because there's so much attention and engagement at all ages going to that right now. And it's also an area where advertising is really undiscovered country in-app purchases have driven the economics of those businesses. You've seen, I think there's some data out there that says in-app purchases haven't necessarily tracked user growth throughout the quarantine. That presents an opportunity for the game studios as well as brands to rethink how to do marketing within and around casual mobile gaming.
2: Leslie, one thing I'd go back to is habits. One of the things that I found, which I think is kind of funny, is In a business Zoom or Hangout, it's easy. You set a meeting for a certain time, no different than you do in actual meetings. Well, we can get together for an hour, so this conversation will naturally end. I, for one, haven't figured out how to gracefully exit a social Zoom when I want to. Do you just shut it off? I can't figure it out yet. (laughs) I'm asking a question to the audience. What's the socially elegant way to go, I'm bored with this conversation, bye. It's called tech problems. But I would add something else. In every one of those Zooms and in every conversation that we are having amongst us, anybody who says this isn't true is not being honest. We all ask each other, what are you binging on? What are you watching? What are you doing? And we're all a recommendation engine now. Everybody's recommending their favorite binge. That habit is not going away. It was getting stronger before. Viewing habits are going to change. And this is a time when we understand how the SVOD world is working. We understand that we're going to see, at least if economics will allow it, the creation of a new bundle. So skinny bundles aside, people are bundling up where they can. And again, the macroeconomic issues will have impact on that. We were guessing pre-COVID that based on some of the research we'd seen, that the average consumer would bundle four to five streaming services. I think that's an indication of the strength that we'll see obviously in SVOD, but with others saying they're going to bring out an AVOD streaming capability. And I think that's really the thing we need to watch because if the eyeballs are there, that's where the marketing messages have to be. And that's what we need to get to.
3: That's interesting. That was along my next line of questions. And streaming wars are one of the biggest themes right now in media. But it's interesting to hear that you think all of those platforms can essentially be successful.
2: I do think our habits are going to change dramatically and longer than we think, and there is going to be more binging. Mm -hmm. It's going to be the nature of how we do things. And again, if you take out economic considerations, which I don't know how you do, but if you did, then I would say I would still subscribe to, excuse the expression, that metric of four to five would be the average bundle that someone will create.
3: We are approaching the end of our time, by the way, but I did want to squeak in one other question, and it goes back to sports, which you touched on very briefly. The NFL is one of the most sought-after and valuable properties and piece of content out there. So I was curious your perspective on what the consensus expectation is about the NFL season, if that is going to go ahead, and any thoughts on how the negotiations on media rights Could be impacted. And then weaving in what you talked about in terms of flexibility, how does that apply here to sports in terms of length of contracts or how might that manifest itself along these lines?
5: Look, there are massive stakes with the NFL. We've been looking at a couple different areas in sports, and a lot of this is going to be driven by attendance and the ability to have people in attendance if possible. Everybody wants the NFL to come back. There's so much money involved for the networks, for the league, for the players. There's a lot of motivation. I think they're working overtime to figure out how to do that as quickly as possible. It's possible that the season could be delayed, but I'd still probably guess that they're going to work hard to get it started on time in some fashion as far as negotiations on future media rights one of the big things that will be a topic in every one of these negotiations and probably every conversation going forward is rethinking of force majeure and how to price that in to all of these contracts because now this has happened and it could happen again and people don't want to be stuck where we are right now without that considered.
2: I'd say it's the same thing that I heard from a good friend of mine who's a restaurateur who said he's looking at every lease that he has and he is going back in time and what i mean by that he's going back to what we used to see with real estate with restaurant businesses particularly more to percentage rent than flat rent because if you're going to have to reopen restaurants i'm using this metaphorically for a moment if you're going to have to reopen restaurants with 25 percent of the seating capacity that real estate is not worth what it was worth previously to that restaurateur Take that same application to sports rights. I think you're going to see that. And I'll go back to what I said earlier. Flexibility is going to be the key. I don't know about, again, anybody else, but as we're looking at optimistically, trust me, the end of the year and saying, are we going to take a family vacation in December? My wife, Ronnie, and I looked at each other and said, we sure would like to, but I don't know. Well, let's see if we can book something, but let's negotiate with the hotel, which we did, an absolute deadline on the latest date we can cancel without losing any deposit. You'd be shocked at how flexible they were, okay? A place where normally six months out, your money's gone, your deposit's gone, everybody's going to be more flexible. And I think that applies to sports rights. We have to be. We don't know what the value is if we're reimagining sports with half the fans, with no fans. That's a temporary moment, I'm hopeful, and I guess. Being a Laker and a Dodger season ticket holder, I certainly hope it's a temporary moment. But would I go long on it? I guess I did.
3: Well, with that, I want to thank you all so much for your time. We could have obviously touched on a lot more here. There's a a lot of moving parts with the advertising market, but really, really appreciate your thoughts and perspectives and wish you the best.
0: I hope you enjoyed our show today. If you want to check out any prior episodes, find us and subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Feel free to leave a review as well as it helps people find the show. You can also follow us on social media at KindredCast for behind the scenes photos and info. Listen to KindredCast on SiriusXM every Saturday and Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern on Business Radio Channel 132 or stream shows on demand in the SiriusXM app. Audiation.